What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters. Right here, right now. The Debrief. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a special live edition of The Debrief. Certainly America and our city have been facing a degree and intensity of racial unrest that we just haven't seen in a generation. Now, we have seen the protests against police brutality, the police response, the looting, the vandalism. We've heard the pleas for justice from black and brown communities. Tonight, we just want to try to take a step back, a pause, as we often do on the debrief and try to talk a little bit more, examine how we got here, talk about perhaps what happens next. So you're going to hear from a couple of experts, New Yorkers who know this city, who know the issues about what might need to be done to improve the relationships between communities of color and officers. First, let's just get a sense of what happened in the city today. John Chandler is covering one of the protests. I'm John Chandler here on the Brooklyn Bridge behind me, Terrence Floyd, the brother of George Floyd, leading a procession over the Brooklyn Bridge after speaking to a crowd in impassioned speech at Cabman Plaza. Uh, He was silent for a good 20 to 30 seconds at the start of that speech as the crowd chanted, you are not alone. Terrence overcome with emotion saying to the crowd that he notices all of what his brother's death has sparked, the movements all the way as far as Australia to here in his home where he lives in Brooklyn. This is so far a peaceful protest making its way over the Brooklyn Bridge. Terrence urging everybody that his brother would not have been about destruction. He would want this protesting and this movement to happen in a peaceful way. So far, it has here on the Brooklyn Bridge. John Chandler, back to you. John Chandler, they're giving us a sense of the protests and how they felt today. And we have a couple of guests tonight to kind of talk through this, how we got here and and the feelings. Deborah Archer is an associate professor of clinical law, co-faculty director, Center on Race, Inequality, and the Law at NYU. She knows a lot about New York City's politics, its police department, so we're happy to have there. Deborah, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay. Thank thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Deborah, let me just get your emotions first and also your perspective from a legal standpoint of, of the video, of the George Floyd video. We know charges were filed and in one case upgraded. Give me your sense. Yeah, it was, it's incredibly hard to watch that video. I've watched it many times and every time it's still difficult to imagine how someone could disregard the, the basic humanity um, and dignity of, of, of a person, treating him like he was an animal. Um, George Floyd's killing, and I think the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and so many others, and then the weaponization of law enforcement that we've seen against people of color in this city are, are all examples of the deep-seated and systemic racism, a failure to recognize the humanity of black people, um, and really the conflation of brown skin and black skin with dangerousness, criminality, and inhumanity. Deborah, you know, there were a lot of police officers ultimately around the country who came out and condemned what they saw in the video as well. but it does not suffice for many to say the argument, oh, this was one rogue officer or three or four rogue officers. Why does that not uh, ring true with many people? I, I think that's a fallback for a lot of people. And we often hear that from the police, that this is one bad apple. And other people would say that it's actually a rotten tree, that it is not just one bad apple. When you look at our criminal justice system, you see that although black people are my 
minority in this country, they're three times more likely to be killed by a police officer than white people are. They are more likely to suffer physical and emotional injuries from daily interactions with police officers. And, and so either you look at our system and see that something is profoundly and deeply wrong, or you believe in the worst stereotypes of black and brown people. If it was one rogue officer, it wouldn't be so systemic. It wouldn't be that every, just about every black person can tell you a story about being disrespected or humiliated by a police officer, or that black men are on social media sharing stories about the first time an officer pulled a gun on them. And some of those stories are about them being as young as 10, 11, or 12. Deborah, often we don't see officers charged as quickly when something like this happens, uh, but the initial officer there, Derek Chauvin, was charged, and that's been upgraded to three other officers mm -hmm. charged yesterday. Is that, what does that mean to you? What do you make of that? Is that an encouraging sign when it comes to investigating police? I know this is one case here, but what do you make of it? There are a few encouraging signs, but I think the rage that you see in these protests means that Black people are really they're calling out for respect and recognition of humanity, but they're really tired of the cycle of, of a, a murder by a police officer, protest, empty promises, and then another murder. And so I think people are um, are wary of, all, of what we're seeing as signs of progress. But yes, having an officer um, charged for murder, for killing a, a, a black man is rare. Having every officer involved, charged in the murder of that black man is, is rare. And the way that we have seen people in all walks of life, police officers around the country come out and speak out against what happened, we see the mix and diversity in the march, certainly is a sign of progress. It's different than what we've seen in the past. But I don't know that that's gonna translate to the type of systemic reform that we need to see in the police department. We don't need to see tweaks. We really need to see a transformation in how we pol police in America and how we police black and brown communities. Well, let me ask you, Deborah, about New York City, because I know you have a lot of experience with that and the NYPD. Prior to this week, the NYPD would have said it has been making strides in community cop relations. Of course, the Eric Garner case has been hanging over the city and hanging over the case, uh, for uh, hanging over all of us and in our mind for some time. And of course, it is brought back to the surface now. But prior to this week or these events, how would you assess the NYPD and the community 2019, 2020? I think we hear a lot about um, increased and improved cop community relations. But the thing that is really going to improve the relationship between cops and people in, the, in, in black communities is to end the violence and the police violence in those communities. You can't bring people in for a conversation and think that you solve the problem you actually have to do the hard work of rooting out the discrimination that has woven itself very deeply into policing in New York City and in cities around the country from beginning uh, to end. Having conversations are, is not enough if there is not a shift in power, a shift in dynamics, and a shift in how we hold officers accountable for violence against black and brown people. And you have a sense that the degree of those kind of police abuse, alleged police abuse incidents in a lot of the neighborhoods still happening to the degree that they did two years ago, three years ago in the moment of Eric Garner? I think if you spoke to members of the communities that it, the, the degree doesn't change, the nature changes. So there are different ways that we see the discrimination manifest. So we had stop and frisk. And that has evolved in, in, in two other ways. We have seen it evolve into the way that we do gang policing um, 
and the way that that pulls in innocent people. Uh, so I think the, the, the problem's still there. How we describe it may have changed, but it's still a problem, even in New York City, where um, there have been some strides. We have a, a very strong civilian complaint review board, which we don't have in a lot of other cities, and we still have a deep problem with policing. And you were on that CCRB, if I'm not correct, uh, Deborah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were on the front lines of a lot of these complaints. Um, what solutions do you think you, the CCRB has brought and what needs to happen, you think, when it comes to uh, policing and police procedures? And I'll dovetail that. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about some of the personnel records protection, the 50A mm-hmm. uh, civil laws that protect the disciplinary records of officers. There's some discussion about whether independent bodies should investigate police misconduct versus the DAs. Talk to me about that broad sphere. So I think at this point, we do need to to shift to um, broad changes, and that needs to happen at the federal, state, and local level. Uh, We've heard President Trump say that he's going to bring the entire weight of the federal government to bear on tamping down protesters um, and demonstrations. But what we need is the full weight of the federal government to transform policing. That can come um, through state or federal legislation that prohibits chokeholds, that prohibits uh, knee-to-neck restraints. We need to limit the use of force uh, and require de-escalation. We need a national registry of police officers who have been fired for misconduct so that officers can't move from one police department to the next. We saw that in the case of Tamira Rice. We need to end qualified immunity we need to end the militarization of to police departments, and we need an adjustment in funding. We have criminalized poverty, homelessness, uh, drug addiction, so much of education, and instead we can devote those resources to fixing those problems, to investing in communities, and, and transition some of it from the police's hands to the community hands. And let me ask you an emotional question, perhaps. Do you see something uh, of all that has transpired this week that suggests to you there might be more of an opening now to start those discussions or start those meaningful policy changes? Does something seem different to you or not? I think there certainly has been a shift in the conversation. In the past, we've seen um, the conversation talk about rooting out bad apples and accountability. We saw the conversation focus on body cameras, but we see now that body cameras aren't the solution, that there are officers who, who still Uh, commit this violence and and murders while they're being filmed. The conversation I'm hearing today is more about transformative change to fundamentally altering the way that we police in America. And I think that's an important shift. I think we all have to be hopeful that change will happen. We have to be relentless and focus on change happening. I have two teenage boys, so I don't have any choice but to be hopeful and to keep fighting for change in New York City and around the country. All right, Deborah Archer, uh, professor of clinical law, co-faculty director, Center on Race, Inequality, and the Law at NYU. Thank you, Professor Archer. We may call on you again in the coming days and weeks. Thank you. And as you know, the debrief is a less formal approach uh, and gives us a chance to have a conversation and listen. So this will probably be the first of many as we confront this and, of course, follow up on some of the issues that are still currently being raised on the streets of New York City, on the streets of Minneapolis, on the streets of Berlin, on the streets of Paris, on the streets this relationship, this kind of uh, anxiety and anger that has risen up over police abuse in our cities, in our towns. We'll have more for you. And you can always join us on News 4 in New York at 11 and all our newscasts as we try to bring you the complete coverage of what's happening. For now, we'll sign off. We want to thank Brian Knox, our producer, Ben Berkowitz, our digital uh, VP. 
and all of you.